Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your economically disadvantaged host, Javi. <laughs> and uh, this week we are reviewing, I guess because in some ways it is Oscar season coming up, we're reviewing actually the Academy Award winner for Best Picture from 2019, even though the Academy Awards were at the beginning of this past year. Uh, and that is the movie Parasite. Which is directed by Bong Joon Ho. Yeah. Uh, all right. Not uh, just a heads up. We're gonna fucking put the uh, disclaimer up right now. Angel and I will most likely Booker Booker. <laughs> I, I'm butchering the English language. Now you expect me to try to pronounce Korean names? <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going. I know I'm going to butcher some Korean names. Angel has kind of a way around. Maybe hopefully not butchering Korean names. So just a heads up uh you know we don't intend to be offensive we don't intend to be racist or dickheads we're just really bad at pronouncing things <laughs> so we're going to be trying our best but yes this film was directed by uh bong joon ho and ended up being nominated for like six academy awards including like best picture best i think he got a best director nod there was like best original screenplay best editing um which personally, I think that's what Bong Joon-ho was super proud of because apparently he was really proud of his editing team and how much they were able to, how hard they worked on this film. Um, and yeah, this film is a very special piece. I've been championing it for the past year and a half for us to review it. I've really wanted to review it. Um, finally wore down Angel enough to get him to to watch it right now in what would be a normal Oscar season which in, during these far from normal times. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. This is our second foreign film, right? Because we did hashtag alive uh, for spooky season. And then we, uh, this being our uh, second, both Korean films. Alive was also a Korean film. Was it not? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, I think that's why I was saying that I think Parasite is our second foreign film, right? You're right, yeah. And um, okay, so I guess my experience with this movie. My experience with this movie is I'm watching it for the first time or I watched it for the first time for this podcast. It was a movie that I had planned to watch at some point because I'd say maybe since Last Jedi, I don't know. It, it, this is like one of those episodes or maybe even Moonlight maybe is closer to it. But it's one of those episodes where when we did Moonlight last year, it was a movie that I really wanted you to watch. And it was the best picture winner for, I think, 2017. Um, and, you know, we finally got you to watch it for this podcast. And you had experience watching this movie before. And I ended up watching it for the first time for this podcast. I had plans to watch it. But I think because in the back of my mind, I always knew we were going to come to it. I thought it might be interesting if I held off until the moment that we decided to review the movie for this show so that we can get the perspective of someone who knows this movie or has seen it more than once and someone like me who's just seen it for the first time before recording this show. Uh, you mentioned before we really kind of get started, I wanted to find a good way to... Uh, identify who these characters are so i'm not just 
butchering names right the entire time and it's not because you know look i fucking suck at that at pronouncing names period so really for for the sake of trying to get through some of these storylines uh i wanted to refer to you know the kim family mr kim is obviously our father character uh mrs kim is obviously our mother character and the two children i wanted to refer to them as what they refer to themselves at with the parks and that's uh jessica and kevin um and then of course mr park and mrs park (laughs) you know that's just how i'm gonna identify these characters um how I approach best picture winners. So much like what we did with Moonlight, I really like to watch them with an eye of, you know, what, like, you know, I just watch these, these movies, like kind of looking at all the different layers of them, figuring out what about these movies made them so special that at the end of the year, the award was, this is the movie, right? Um, the first time i really paid attention to this movie i think it was right after it won the oscar as well was (laughs) it was a speech it was a donald trump rally where i think he got angry that a south korean movie won best picture and he just and his answer to that was why can't we make more movies like gone with the wind (laughs) which is obviously a movie that like glorifies slavery so you know quite the the worst he would we would pick the worst possible like choice. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that would have been worse is he picked Joker because I mean that's his fan base. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Last dig with him as president. Um, I used to, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but before I became a parent, I used to watch front runner movies for the Academy Awards, like at the end of the year or early you know, at the beginning of the year before the Oscars, right? So I remember doing that most. I didn't do it every year, but the ones I remember the most are like the year Birdman won, I think. Uh, There was the year Slumdog Millionaire won in 08, which, you know, I think I've said this before and I'll say it again. Like as good as that movie was, and I saw it more than once, Dark Knight should have been nominated and should have won Best Picture that year. That is the only year where I just like disagreed with it. There you was a few years ago. Won. There was a few years ago where that movie The Artist came out, which was like a completely silent movie. <laughs> I think that was 14 or 13. I don't remember which year it was. Oh, it was okay. The, yeah. Yeah, it was 2011. I was reading up how it's, it was the first non English speaking no so i guess not american movie to win best picture yeah so it's it's you know that and then like you know we talk about moonlight and you know i've watched all of a lot of these best picture winners and and again like i mentioned i like having an eye for kind of like you know what makes it what about these movies made it the best right um so the other thing is foreign films you know, we did this earlier with Alive. I've watched a lot of Asian foreign films, but particularly horror. Like that is my, the genre that I've seen most of these in. And and I know that, uh, you know, you had mentioned before we got on that, that Bong Joon-ho is also the director of The Host. Um, 
I actually haven't seen that movie, even though I've heard really great things about it, and I really want to now, having seen Parasite. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of people have hangups about about watching foreign films because the fact that you're reading subtitles the entire time, right? And funny enough, while we were watching this movie, at one point I was folding clothes or or looking or trying to lay my clothes out to to put on something to wear and my wife was like you shouldn't start doing anything while you're watching this movie especially if you're gonna have to be reading subtitles but what i kind of discovered watching this movie and i think one of the reasons why it did cross over and get gain such a mainstream appeal is because a the themes in this movie are so relatable to not just south korea but like so many capitalist countries across the world and i think the other one is the movie has does such a good job at visual storytelling like something like the artist does um or like when we talk about moonlight like there's so much about there was so much about this movie that isn't said outright that you know, it's you're able to pick up the cues, and I think that's just a mark of really good filmmaking. And it makes total sense why this movie was so beloved and appreciated. So, even in the moments where I wasn't fully focused reading what the characters were saying, I understood what was happening in the movie based on how the characters, you know, their body language and their nonverbal communication with each other. And that's kind of it's kind of a neat exercise. I feel like watching watching um foreign films almost like it's almost like taking one of your senses away in a way so it's like you start to you look for different things in the movie you focus on different things besides just the subtitles like you you will focus on what the movie looks like you know the the in what i mentioned the visual storytelling aspects of it and it's just it's it's a completely different way of viewing a movie um, the other thing is, I think it's cool to watch movies that have more of an Eastern, that, that it's, it's, it's good to watch Eastern cinema sometimes, because I feel like their focus points in terms of linear storytelling are different than American movies, right? Like American movies don't, they have certain tropes that they need to hit all the time. You know, romances are always at the forefront of a lot of these movies. Um, it's like, it's too linear, you know? It's just, it feels like there's too many rules sometimes in American films where it's like, it, it makes them a little bit bland. And one of the things I really liked about this movie, and I kind of, I would kind of uh, maybe even in some ways compare it to when we did The Cable Guy a few months ago, like it's a movie that is really good at tonal shifts and it does it in such a like it does it in such a subtle way where it's like if you just see the the look on someone's face and you know look at the surroundings around them or like if they it's one of those things where if they just change one little thing about the scene it's a horror movie if they change one little thing about the scene it's a comedy all of a sudden and I think that's very impressive to manage those kinds of tone shifts. 100%. And that's what, 
that's the the best part about this movie in my opinion is that as you're watching or you know as you're trying to find it you'll find it both under the horror and the comedy section of whatever <laughs> whatever streaming service you're using because in essence it does it is a horrifying comedy like it's not your traditional horror movie it doesn't have horror elements that make you think like an outright horror movie but there is certain scenes in this film that really do creep you out and it's very uh hitchcockian in certain ways you know um but yeah i guess i'll speak on my experience with the film um i was familiar with bong joon ho in a way i didn't expect uh, my buddy actually in high school he was more of the film dude. He's the one that like followed directors. Me at that point, I really, I was really just watching a couple American directors, mostly Quentin Tarantino. But he was like, "Hey, buddy, you should check out." Uh, okay, we didn't call each other buddy, but he was like, "Hey, Javi, you should check out the host. He's like, it's this really good monster movie from uh, Korea." And I was like, "Oh, interesting." And I watched it in immediate. I had to watch it like two or three times to really kind of like like get it because of the same thing i was one of those guys that was like i don't want to watch a movie if i had to watch subtitles like i thought that was such a stupid concept and then you know i watched this movie and i'm like this is a really good story like that's kind of dumb that i had that mentality <laughs> so it really did open up kind of it, it opened me up to watching more films and different types of films and in foreign films and like you were mentioning being able to experience uh eastern cinema because it is one like it is a completely different style of filmmaking it's a completely different style of storytelling uh something that we're not used to here in the west um but yeah i watched i watched his i watched that film uh watched snowpiercer on netflix which i was telling you is also available for those that haven't seen it go check it out I was surprised to find out they were made by the same guy because they were such different films. You had one being like a monster movie, kind of also addressing coming of age. You had this other movie, Snowpiercer, being about kind of like a, a, a revolt in a post-apocalyptic like Arctic wasteland from the people at the back of the train trying to take the front of the train. But then that's when you start noticing a pattern in Bong Joon-ho's work is that he's very much trying to there's a lot of subtext there's a lot of satire there's a lot of subtext in his work and then uh finally by after watching Snowpiercer by the time I found out Parasite was coming out I'm like yeah this movie's fantastic I already know it's gonna be fantastic I just can't wait to check it out um and completely ex like I was expecting for it to be um you know, one, another one of those movies that was going to have a lot of subtext and a lot of like satire talking about what, what the housing, you know, at, at first, like understanding that it was about a rich family and a poor family, uh, specifically talking about a family that lived in one of those like sub basement units that I get that, as I learned, were very, are very popular in Korea. Um, I didn't know, you know, I knew it was going to be about that. I didn't realize that it was going to be about you know housing shortages i didn't realize it was going to be about family dynamics and the and the wealth inequity of a capitalist country so suddenly this was a movie that i uh, at first i was interested in but then suddenly like as a westerner became super related to especially coming from a place like uh, like california where we have a 
giant wealth disparity and it's like the points that uh that bong joon ho makes in the film are so poignant with what we deal with here in the bay area you know how <laughs> like the, the like i don't i don't want to get too crazy into it i just want to say that that's just my experience with the film um it really hit a chord with me and i'm i'm just happy we're finally be we're finally reviewing it for the show so i think with that you ready to jump into it angel well, I, so one of the, I'd say maybe making a case for why it's good that we reviewed this now as opposed to before um, is because I couldn't help but think about how the class divide portrayed in this movie translates not only like to the US, but both before and now during the COVID-19 pandemic, right? It's almost like... It, it, it's like what we do right now, right? Like just... In, in political circles, the big thing right now is fighting for $15 an hour minimum wage, right? And the other one is the clearing of student debt for a lot of people. And there's so the much, yeah, and there's so much argument against it from people who are equally just as poor and get absolutely no benefit, either either moral or just social or financial from trying to keep other people from having better access to resources than they do, you know? And I think that is going to be very well uh, displayed in this movie as well. Um, so I think it is good that, that even though this movie had, has been out for nearly two years at this point, uh, it is good that we picked this time to review it. And uh, absolutely. Nah, I think that's you trying to save face, but Nah, good point. <laughs> the world is changing, and I think that I think Bong Joon Ho has a you know he has a he has a talent to talk about a changing world uh, on film. You know, like one like and, and it's actually interesting because he originally when he came up with the idea for this film, he's been working on it since about 2015, um, and originally he thought about filming or he didn't even think about filming this uh this movie what he wanted to do was actually turn this into a stage play and then uh he wanted to to he wanted it to like focus pretty much like the only two locations being the park house and the kids home and then uh you know as he thought about it and as he story boarded out boarded it out and really fleshed out a lot of these characters and stuff he realized that this was that it was going to be a little bit too ambitious for it to be a stage play a stage play for him to tell the story he wanted to so he's like fuck it fuck it i'm gonna make this a a uh, movie i'm just gonna i'm just gonna film it and turn it into a movie and but it, you know it's interesting because he actually workshopped it thinking that it was going to be a uh stage play originally um yeah and and there's there's just a lot of like there's just a lot of details that i'm really impressed with and that I just, yeah, I was just, just make this movie such an enjoyable experience, at least for me. Um, yeah, I think that's good for final thoughts on my experience. Um, let's jump in. So to start, we, uh, we get introduced to our uh, poorer family, our, uh, the Kim family. So this is, uh, has the father, as Angel's going to refer to him, Mr. Kim uh key tyke oh no i'm gonna call him mr kim too this is gonna be hard this is gonna be really hard then there's his wife the mother of the children uh chung suk also known you know as mrs kim 
uh the son who is kind of the main character of the film uh uh ki woo who uh as angel mentioned was is kevin later on and the daughter ki yung who uh later is referred to as jessica so they live in these small semi kind of like the small basement apartment they're all kind of living on top of each other and essentially they are living in squalor like they live in this this apartment where it's like you know there's maybe two rooms everything looks stacked on top of each other like the room the house looks like one main hallway uh for some reason the toilet is like elevated over like it's like on this weird shelf spot um and they live right next to you know it being a basement the one window of the home is actually right next to a alleyway where they constantly see people walk by uh they're constantly uh dealing with flooding due to uh due to being you know underground and always dealing with drunks that are constantly pissing in front of their uh windows um so one thing to note about the kim family is that even though they live in squalor for lack of a better term they aren't lazy people like and i mean this was kind of like the difference again already from the difference between cultures in the u.s as opposed to in asia or korea to be exact you know here in the u.s we can say that if someone's poor there's that stigma that they're lazy they don't want it they're not working hard enough because again, we're looking at everything through this lens of production of how much someone can can create, right, to exist in society. Well, when we when we talk about arguing the difference between Eastern and Western filmmaking, maybe the Western U.S. approach might be more of we're going to present this family as lovable slackers, right? Like it just there are these really weird, ridiculous rules that kind of follow characters into movies and. Again, it's like this isn't as rigid. And I think it's good that it doesn't present them as lazy because let's be completely honest. Like the wealth gap in this country, like there is such an idea of exceptionalism in this country where, you know, like it's 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 burned into people's minds that, you know, well, you can do whatever you want as long as you put your mind to it and you have to work really hard to do it. But if you don't work really hard, then you're not going to be rich. The people who get rich are the people who work hard and who do this and who do that. And it's just, it makes, it would make every one of these characters reprehensible. <laughs> I oh, think this, this movie doesn't present any of that kind of rose colored, like, you know, uh, view of any of that because it doesn't really tell you why the park, why the park family is rich. And, you know, the fa- Hey, the Kim family, they're, they're, they are working very low paying menial jobs maybe and i think why it's really important to kind of outline this right now is right now during this pandemic a lot of people who are getting praise are people who are working in the medical field right and it's due it, it, there there is a just reason for it they are on the front lines helping people who are you know getting sick with this virus and doing what they can to keep as many of us healthy as possible. There is another segment of the po- of the population. I would include maybe even my wife in that, you know, people who work in hospitals who aren't, you know, dealing directly with patients. 
but who are putting themselves at just as much risk, right? They get they get a lot less attention. And even even taking it in another direction, there are the people who are still working at our grocery stores and the people who are still working at like targets and like the places where we buy all the essentials that we need. There are people who are doing that without getting any additional pay. They are all getting, there are people who are packaging all of the stuff that we're buying online because many of us are not going to stores anymore. So Amazon warehouse workers, UPS drivers, FedEx drivers, um, you know, this is touching everybody in different ways. But for some reason, we have this annoying fascination with we've identified that only healthcare workers are the ones who are who are deserving of our admiration and praise. And maybe the reason for that is because we look at them as being self-sufficient enough that we don't have to do anything to help them make more money to survive. It's easy. Like, you know, I think the best thing was like a thing that I read on Twitter the other day. It, it took, it took barely even a few months for us to, to go from, uh, thank you essential workers to why do they need more money? They're just flipping burgers, right? They, it's like we immediately forgot how those people kept us alive and kept it together. Like those first three months of the pandemic. Yes. <laughs> it is. It's insane to me. Right. And very much so like it's a, it's definitely an East versus West mentality because I love how the park family, I'm sorry, not park family, the Kim family, uh, yeah, you know, even though they're they live in this really like these really destitute home, they are. It's not for it's not due to them not having the will or the intelligence or the ability to to move forward, you know, or to move upward. I mean, quote unquote. I would also. I mean, the other thing too that this shows as well is maybe because their space is so small but they are the family that's a lot more that's a lot closer together right because we're going to see the contrast between them and the park family and everyone in the park family is in different rooms all the time rarely do we have scenes where all four members of that family are in the same space right like in because a because they have a vast space that allows them to all be in different places but the other one is it's just it, they, they seem like strangers that are just occupying the same home. Yeah, you know, they Mr. all happen to just be in the same place at the same time. <laughs> right, whereas like the Kim family, maybe you might look at them as as less than because they don't have as many as much financial means. But at the same time, they're communicating with each other all the time. Even as they start to make more money in the movie, you know, they are still like sitting at the table together they understand each other. They communicate really well. Like the brother and sister get along, you know, the parents get along. And it is kind of like a, you know, it, it, it's not too dissimilar from maybe my family or your family, you know, it's like, it's people who depend on each other to survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that is important. And it, and it, and it is what, you know, keeps us in their corner throughout much of the movie even though they become scummier and scummier as the film continues (laughs) but um yeah one thing that it's really interesting that you point that out is how we actually see the kims eat together 
you know whether it's that part where they go out and they buy food and they 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 go buy and buy like convenience store food or the time they're grilling in the house or the time they're um they're uh what's it called or the time they're all together like when when they're all at the park family's house and they're like getting drunk and eating food together like there is always this sense of togetherness even if there is like some sort of dread of it kind of blowing up at one point as opposed to the park family which at one point I think the only time like, like it feels like food is used as a big driving force to get like of of keeping the core family together meanwhile you know with the park family the one time that food is like plays a role is like you know when when mrs park asks uh mrs kim to make the the ramdon ramdon the the i mean we can talk about the importance of the ramdon later but it's like the one time that the food kind of plays a part uh, poignantly in this film for the Park family, it literally leads to an argument because the mom doesn't want to share the food with the daughter. You know, like Mrs. Park refuses to share with her daughter. So it just kind of goes to, it draws the parallels between how different these two families are. And they're very, like the, it's really important to understand that the Kim family is very ingenious. They know how to get, they know how to get ahead. They know how to game the system in a way where it benefits all of them, where the entire family works out. So, like, for example, uh, I believe it's the mom who ends up get, have, getting a um, kind of a menial job folding boxes and, like, the family works together. They had to fold a certain amount of boxes for a pizza company. And uh, even though I believe it's, like, the father, somebody, uh, ends up, I think Mr. Kim ends up messing up some of the boxes, when they deliver the boxes to the actual cashier, she you know she she gets mad about how most of the or how like a, a third of the boxes are all messed up and they're gonna dock their pay but somehow kevin uh the son kiwu he ends up finessing it in a way where it gets the mom a, a permanent part-time position at the pizza company or at the pizza shop so it's one of those things where it's like the they are very like they are they're very focused on helping each other which is really cool and uh, through his connections, actually, Kevin, me, uh, he meets up with a friend of his from college or who's in college uh, who ends up, he's, you know, he spends a lot of time with them. Uh, the student, uh, Min, Min, I'm just going to call him Min. Uh, you know, like he, he, he seems to be Kevin's childhood friend. And he comes to the family and uh, gives them a gift, the Scholar's Rock which was uh, the importance of the Scholar's Rock being that it promises wealth to those who own it. However, he does talk to Kevin about how he's going to take some, uh, he's going to be out of town for a while and that because he's um, going to study abroad. So he asked Kevin if, that, if he was willing to take over his job as the Park family tutor for the teenage daughter who is named uh the high the god i'm gonna i'm gonna blame i'm gonna butcher it completely we're just gonna call her the park's daughter um kevin agrees and he actually gets help from uh his sister jessica uh kijun to forge all the necessary documents to pass off as a oxford student who is going to be teaching the uh the park's daughter english so originally in the film, this was something I learned is that the uh, in the 
Korean cut of the film, it was actually a letter or transcripts from Yonsei University. And the reason why uh, Boon Ho or Jean Boon, that well, <laughs> I'm messing, I'm messing this entire episode up. The reason why Bong Joon Ho changes it to Oxford for uh, Western uh, audiences is because we actually know what Oxford is, and the idea is that he wanted to get the pedigree and how prestigious that uh, Korean university was. Well, that's kind of it's kind of a good. What I do like about the fact that they select that is it does fit in with the film because specifically when we meet the Parks later, they're a family who seems to put a lot of value into stuff that comes from like the US and, and North America or like just West. They, they have an affinity for Western culture or what they think Western culture is. It's like, remember it's a, how... It's a status symbol for them, right? It's almost like you know what it is. It's like it's like the rich it how, people. Oh, it's I thought like you were gonna say uh, Django Unchained. How Leo lo- was a francophile and he loved everything from France. <laughs> well, yeah, that that that's that's actually even more accurate than that. But <laughs> yeah, I would think it's just specifically like you know people who are you know in this country who are white and they 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 talk about how they gain an appreciation for something else. And they, but despite having like an elementary understanding of it, right? Like I think specifically there was one, it just like, God, I can't even think of it. Are you trying to think of local trends like crystals and shit like that? (laughs) Yeah, like that kind of stuff, right? It's, it's It's stuff that makes you look inherently deeper and more interesting. But it's just like if you're someone who understands that other culture, it's not. <laughs> it's, like I how, think... it's like how yoga has been westernified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, um, it. All right, so Min gets uh, Min gets uh, Kevin a job as a tutor with the Park family, and that's when we get into that's when we get introduced to them for the first time. Um, oh, the Parks! Before we go into the <laughs> Parks, you want to talk about their house real quick? sure that house is stupid (laughs) it's awesome no like i mean it is stupid in the sense that it is so fucking opulent for no reason (laughs) it it totally reminds me of when we watched the invisible man like just the ridiculous like cold modernity of the (laughs) of the house that they were living in like in that opening scene and part of the reason why it's so frightening and why some of the scenes in this movie are so frightening oh is because about adrian's house yeah like no yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Mm-hmm. for some reason something that's got that many like windows without frames and is so angular and cold there is something that's like there's something just instinctively like detached cold and kind of like unhomey about it (laughs) that Mm -hmm. in the scenes where the house is supposed to be terrifying it is because it feels less like a home and more like an office building to me you know like like i've worked in it for years and i've worked for you know so many different variety of offices and stuff like that and this looks you know like most of this stuff looks like lobbies you know, at an office building <laughs> before you get into like a boardroom or something like that, like from the window to just like the grass and something like that. It's just so, 
it's so overly you know just trying to be fancy for no reason (laughs) and it you know they even go out of their way to talk about how the original owner was the 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 actual architect and designer himself this Mm -hmm. famous uh designer by the name of nam gung i think um probably butchering that as well but (laughs) the idea was just that he was the 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 greatest right he was the greatest um he was the greatest architect in in korea and it's like the the park family and it and it falls in line with what the park family is about how everything they want has to be the best because everything they own is a huge status symbol and proof that they're making it you know Mm-hmm. um but yeah like to me to me personally and i don't know how you feel but at a certain point it feels like the the house the park house becomes a character in and of itself absolutely because, you know just because like you were saying how you it makes you feel so cold and detached and how it can make you feel dread but at the same time like in certain scenes it does make you feel comfortable because depending who resides in the house right mm-hmm um like you know when the when i felt like when the kims were in there it feels like it's a very familiar place it's a comfortable (laughs) place obviously when the parks are in there you feel a little bit more detached because again and it it goes to what you were saying earlier how the the kims are more of a close-knit family while the parks are literally just all over the place you literally had to walk across the house to find any of them um and yeah some other things that, that i found interesting is I guess just the first floor is an actual house. The The second floor of the house was actually built on a soundstage. Um, and it was added as a, it was added through CGI, like whenever you get any external shots of the house. Um, but yeah, it, I guess one of the running jokes was when Bong, when Bong Joon-ho like originally was, was uh, drawing concepts for the house. He wanted to, originally to make it a set. So when he brings it to one of the set designers, he tells them what he wants them to look like. And literally one of the uh, one of the set designers is like, this is stupid. We're not making this. <laughs> so then that's when they go to actually the hyper-rich neighborhood in, in Korea and they like get this house to to film the actual movie in. Um, it's a good choice. It's a good choice. I, the, this, this house definitely, be, as you said, becomes a character in the film. Um, so Kevin first day he ends up in this uh, in this new house again very clearly he's you know in a world that he doesn't understand and I think this is a good place to kind of put you know to kind of like well, the way I relate to this is look I've been in a position in my job to where as an IT person I've worked for a lot of people who are in a different financial bracket than I am right <laughs> I end up working for these people in many cases um, you see their homes, their homes are obviously a lot bigger and nicer than anything that I would ever live in. Um, and it's just like, you know, th- there's this intimidation that comes with that, you know, being in a rich person's home is something that even though it shouldn't, even though, you know, eh, we're all the same, there's not that much difference between it, yeah, between all of us, there's just something about it. Right. And I think the other day when we talked about like, just, just in general, like I know so many people in my family and friends of mine who have worked as, you know, nannies, housekeepers, dog sitters, um, landscapers, uh, you know, contractors, like for people who are either famous, 
you know, very well connected or very monetarily, you know, set. Right. (laughs) And it's just like a thing where, uh, you know, it's, they are people who particularly if you're like a nanny housekeeper or someone who's with the family a lot, they will have a, you know, they will have affection for you because you're in their home and you're growing up with the kids and you're around the family and all that kind of stuff, but they will never understand the world that you come from and live in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that, that what I love about this, you know, first day that they're there is it totally captures that. Um, we get the scene where uh, Kevin is tutoring, you know, the park daughter who I'm not totally, I can't remember her name right now. Uh, it's D-A hyphen. So it's da hyphen high. So okay. die. Okay. I mean, I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce it, but um, yeah, I'm just pronouncing it um, phonetically. So if you want da high. Okay. So yeah, like he he's tutoring her the first day and, you know, Mrs. Park is very hesitant about, you know, having somebody new come in and tutor her daughter because obviously Min has, seems to have been her tutor for a very long time. Um, and they consider him being very good, you know, but obviously he's, you know, he's university bound and now he's, he's you know, it's just, it's, it, it gives them you know kind of juice the fact that he's you know been tutoring their daughter and now he's going off to have an even greater education himself right so it's like now we're bringing in somebody else we don't totally know and you know she seems very standoffish about it and stuff like that but what you discover very early about you know mrs park is and i don't think she's stupid she's not stupid character no not at all but but the fact that she's rich you know and seems to be everything in that house goes through the husband right Mm -hmm. and it's just like there's just um there's a just naivete that comes with you know being someone who's that rich and doesn't really have many things to worry about you're naive about a lot of stuff and you can tell because a lot of times characters will tell her things you know like the, the like you know what what jessica will say later and i'll get into it in a bit but you know she just seems easily persuaded in some ways uh you know depending on how characters like will speak to her or 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 how she views them i think men calls her simple at one point yeah but he i mean i don't know if they mean it in an offensive way like she just doesn't have much going on in the head case but yeah i think it's really important noted or i think it's really important to draw that distinction in that she's not portrayed in a way that makes her makes you feel like she's stupid and like oh my god she's an annoying character it's more like i guess it's the whole book smarts versus street smarts right yeah absolutely. like for for lack of a better way of putting it like because the very clearly the 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 Kim family is uh, is a family that struggles and through the struggle has learned how to play the play the game and uh, help each other out and kind of they 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 find ways to come out on top. While yeah. meanwhile the Park family, being a family that is well off and has no need for anything, never knew or at least show they don't they don't know how to struggle they don't know how to be wary of strangers and so they're very trusting because they assume everyone comes with the same ideals that they have 
So, and this is the funny part. When we get to this part of it where, where Kevin is tutoring the daughter, like, this is where I, like, my the light bulb goes off in my head and I'm like, I know what this movie's about now. So this movie is going to be about Kevin tutoring the daughter. And while he's tutoring her, he's going, because I knew that this movie was about class disparity, right? Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I really knew going into it. I was like, all right, well, he's going to get to experience like what, you know, how they live their life and how different that is because he's going to be, you know, tutoring their daughter. And I thought that that was the extent of it. (laughs) <laughs> and then next thing you know this morphs into a heist movie it was and... so great <laughs> like it, the the park family are obviously the marks in all of this right and then you start to realize that every member of the kim family has a different uh, has a different uh specialty and it starts mm-hmm. with the forging of the cv or the resume or whatever right for for the tutoring job where you find mm-hmm. out that jessica is like you know understands like digital like digital design and stuff like that so you know that there's something in there about you know that, that makes her like a bit of an artist mm-hmm. and you know that kevin's not stupid like you know these kids are smart but because they likely don't have access to the same kinds of resources that other rich kids have like men that's why they're not getting further along in their education in college and why they're not getting further ahead. Right. Well, I remember, I don't, and maybe you'll remember better than me, but I think there is like a, there's a line of dialogue where they say Kevin did, uh, did military service instead of continuing school. Okay. uh, I could have totally missed that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I don't know. I hope someone corrects me, but if I remember correctly, they were saying that, because it was when Min was talking to him about the job, he was saying that between your military career and what you learned, because he says you learned English while you were in the military and did something else. And what, that makes sense. Yes. School, he goes, because you probably know that, enough to tutor. Yeah, that makes total sense because obviously, you know, he had to have learned English somewhere. And one of the things that impresses, you know, Mrs. Park is the fact that Kevin does understand English to an extent. And, and again, she views that as, okay, because you understand Western languages, that makes you a person of value, you know. So, yes, you can come and work with us because it's going to mm-hmm. make us look good. And, you know, then we, we get the character of Jessica who comes in and she ends up becoming an art tutor for, mm-hmm. you know, the Park's son who uh you know they 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 kind of look at him as if he has some sort of like you know social not disorder but like social differences and stuff like that you know is he (laughs) and jessica kind of like doesn't make it any better because her her way of getting in with the park family is looking at his art (laughs) and then when he's she sees like the dark like corners that are like dark boxes in the corners of the drawings. <laughs> she calls it the schizophrenia zone in the sun. Such bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, you know, she sells herself as not just an art teacher, but an art therapist. And, you know, that the park sun will be able to get, you know, further along in that, in that one subject and that they'll be able to kind of like get him along. But what you do discover besides the fact that the park son does have like there's something right it's some he's on the spectrum somehow that he has like moments where you can't 
you can't reason with him right mm-hmm. and you notice it when mr park like you know he goes into the, he, he notices that the that you know the kid goes into the tent and doesn't come out and they're like well i guess he's just gonna sleep there tonight and that's gonna be fine yeah you know it's just like that's what that is and then you come to find out exactly like it's just everything why it's, he it's is the intricate. way he is oh yeah. definitely it's everything, super intricate and good everything in this film is done with a purpose which is really cool there's no like hanging there's ve- or if there is there's very few hanging like storylines that never really get addressed i feel like everything does get by the end does get tied up in a very neat little bowl bow um whether it's for better or worse right yeah so Uh, so in the scene where jessica is tutoring that's when we finally are introduced to mr park and along with mr park is the driver right mr park in that sexy voice of his (laughs) they're very young the park family they are very young parents and their kids are you know they have very reasonably old kids or is it just the fact that you know i've known plenty of friends who are korean vietnamese there is something about some of my friends where like they they don't age the same way that i do <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like, you and me get fat and then all our friends <laughs> of like asian descent just look fucking amazing all the time <laughs> yeah it's it's frustrating <laughs> but, and, uh, and then it doesn't help when you see mr park with his fucking like great hair and hatchet jaw and smooth voice <laughs> i may have a crush on mr park <laughs> So, uh, you know, Mr. Park briefly meets Jessica um, because he's his, you know, his driver has just taken him home. They the driver offers to give her a ride as well uh, back to where she needs to live, back to where she lives. And of course, what I didn't mention in all of this is Jessica comes into work with the Park family, as does Kevin. But they're they're hustling this family. So in in their game that they're playing they're not related to each other um you know kevin was just the person who got in first and then his Mm -hmm. job was to get jessica into this as well and then jessica's job as she notices that there's a driver you know she decides you know they decide that that they will get the driver fired (laughs) by her Mm -hmm. taking off her underwear and leaving it in the in the car uh, so that Mr. Park finds it later, and um, you know, Mr. Park thinks that the that the driver has been like you know having sex in the car, which doesn't totally bother him, but for some reason, it's specifically the fact that it could have been in the seat where he's sitting in, and it's just like it's this weird thing where Mr. Park is like what grosses them out most of anything is the fact that they would have any kind of sensory like you know sense of poorer people you know it's like like you notice mrs park like for some reason she grabs the underwear and she has to put on gloves to like look at it but at the same time she'll use the gloves and put them over her face later like yeah i noticed that too it's like she forgot and she still covered her face (laughs) now stay with me here i have this i have this thing that i've been working on talking about like psychoanalyzing with my lack of degrees on on mr park because there is something really important that you to which you just said like where he because his thing is about boundaries like that like the park family really doesn't they want that boundary between the rich and the poor they want like like his thing and he says it a couple times in the film how he likes 
um he likes when people know their place quote unquote and he doesn't want people to get too familiar when they hire uh, mr kim on jessica's recommendation uh because she makes up a story about that mr kim was like an old family friend or a driver for an old family friend and that she knew um and that she grew up with and that's how she knew him she recommends him to uh the park family afterward and brings him on board and him using his experience as a valet driver for parking um and learning by going to a mercedes-benz dealership so that just so he can pretend to test drive the car but actually learn how to like use them and how to drive them right um you know they end up bringing him on board so that way he can fake being this uh experienced veteran driver you know what that that part of it brings me to this and i think i i texted it to you while we were watching the movie but there's a portion in the middle of this where it really does feel like a Simpsons episode to me specifically. <laughs> and I couldn't shake the thought from my head. I was like, man, like this feels like a Homer and Bart Simpson scene. Like, and it They're just, just sitting like, there like trying to figure out how to use the Beamers uh, or I'm sorry, the Benz is like a navigation system. Yeah. And it's like, you know, or like it just it reminded me of so many different Simpsons moments where it's like Homer, go, whether it's Homer going to like the rental store watching the McBain movie and then not renting it (laughs) (laughs) and then it's also like for some reason I could just like imagine like I could imagine these characters doing the thing where Homer goes to the post office and says hello my name is Mr. Burns I believe you have a letter for me like it just they, Hello, it, my name is Mr. Park. <laughs> there's a ridiculousness to some of this that it's just like it totally I could not shake it. Or like, you know, like it's just it really did feel like the Simpsons like trying to muscle their way into Mr. Burns' mansion. Like definitely. you know, like <laughs> and I definitely appreciated that. And I think that's when I was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. I know why this movie won the Oscar and I know why this movie is going to age a lot better than movies like The Artist and Slumdog Millionaire mm-hmm. and why I think it's going to age more like Moonlight, like movies that we remember as a moment in time and specifically it's diversity because now that we have a lot of filmmakers that are from different places that come from movies and different perspectives, we are now seeing stories that we have never seen before. And those are the movies that I think are going to age a whole hell of a lot better. Definitely. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I could have said it better. And plus, the fact that we were able to draw a parallel between Parasite and The Simpsons is also pretty rare. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I think the one where it, it does start to get mean-spirited, but I get it at the same time. And I think that's why this movie is so brilliant is when they finally decide that the housekeeper who she's got to go yeah she's got to go and she also has a very good relationship with the park son as well like Mm -hmm. you know he seems to be someone who and i think it's a good the way i see it when i see stuff like that it's kind of like our mothers our aunts like you know Mm -hmm. the people in our family who are nannies for a lot of these super rich families like those super rich families kids like it's our parents that they're being raised by (laughs) so it's like they have a relationship with them that's very special and i think the reason why you know mrs park coming into the family is what i think ultimately unravels everything 
because when I'm sorry for like the name drop, but actually, actually, um, Chris Columbus and his family actually came to my sister's wedding back when I was like mm-hmm. my my middle sister, but you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm like not... <laughs> no, I hate I hate bringing that shit up, but it like it feels like I'm totally name dropping and shit, but I might as well name drop, but like. <laughs> I'm like kind of speaking to what you said like yeah the the bond my mom formed with like the Columbus family and like the kids specifically like making them like our desserts like our cultural desserts for uh, the holidays and bringing them over and like she still tells me stories about like helping raise those kids and teaching them Spanish and stuff and like creating that bond like yeah that's something that's really hard to sever and kind of like to speak into that in this film like that is kind of the the that's the type of bond that the park family or i'm sorry that the kim family kind of has to overcome and getting that and getting her out of there well and that's the one relationship that they fail to con you know like that's that's the one member of the family that they fail to con because kevin cons the daughter you know jessica cons the mother regularly (laughs) you know the father is conning mr park and mrs park all the time And it's just in like the one person who can't be conned is the son. And that is where, as I said, it is where everything begins to unravel in the way that they get rid of the original housekeeper is they find out that she has a very strong peach allergy. Mm -hmm. So they are purposefully uh, scraping the fuzz off of peaches with razors and regularly dumping it on her so that they can convince the park family that she has tuberculosis <laughs> uh, which, so that it grosses out and you know what what i was thinking about in this uh, you know we are gonna reach the point where you know people are gonna look at something like covid as a poor person's disease right like i mean oh, unless 100%, it, yeah. we're all in some ways we're already there right because a lot of the people who are catching this at work are people who are working in essential services people who don't have the luxury of working from a home office like you know it is there are ways of viewing this you know so it's like and and then the other one is how Mr. Park gets so caught up on Mr. Kim's smell, mm-hmm. you know, or it's just like the scent that he leaves. And it's just like, it just, it just like made me think, oh, I get it. It smells like poor in here. It, it smells, smells like broken here. <laughs> it's exactly what I was thinking. And it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, no, it's one of those things that rubs you the wrong way, but it's what's supposed to rub you the wrong way, too, right? Like, so I, I guess, um, yeah, sorry, sorry, uh, I'll never mind, I'll let you get to your point, but there was something I wanted to say going back to Mr. Park and his hate of the poor, <laughs> right? So, as the housekeeper is the last one to be unceremoniously fired by the Park family. You know, and and Mrs. Kim is now the the new housekeeper. You know, like they have a they they will have a moment later where the entire Park family goes camping, and the Kim family is essentially staying in their mansion. You know, enjoying the luxuries that they have, drinking their alcohol, drinking their Voss water from yeah. the fridge, um, 
enjoying their like therapeutic like you know bathtubs and all that kind of stuff and then they have a moment where they're all sitting in the living room on the floor and you know wondering you know wondering like you know how's the how's the housekeeper doing i hope the driver found other mm-hmm. like it's just them they were like it's them dealing did. with the right they're dealing with the guilt of the fact that they that they made other people lose their mm-hmm. jobs and w- the way i relate to this very well is you know very recently in my job because of covid there's been a lot of layoffs right so there are people that i know that i care about very regularly that are no longer working with me and i'm still working there and it's just like there are moments where you just have this weird guilt right mm-hmm. But at the very same time, you know, they, they are, uh, well, you know, we can't feel sorry for them. They're going to, they're probably fine. It's, it's, it's we got to look out for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that, that makes sense to have that perspective where I think it's going to get dangerous now or where I think it's, it's, and this is something that people regularly do, but there's a moment while they're sitting on the floor where it begins raining you know, and you get the sense that this rain is obviously going to cut the camping trip that the Park family is going on short. But uh, the old housekeeper shows up at the door and she wants to be led inside the house. You know, <laughs> the Kim family is very drunk. <laughs> on their, you they're know, drunk to the point Jessica's eating the dog, like the dog jerky. <laughs> and then she yeah. goes like half, through half the back and realizes it's for the dogs. <laughs> like they are supremely drunk and they no, have to great. let this lady in. And this is it, visually, it makes like I love that they do this. She still looks like she is absolutely fucked up from just the swelling in her face from all the allergy like that they had forced upon her mm-hmm. um she looks in awful shape and that's the thing it's like it's like they were feeling the guilt like did these people land on their feet and then you come to find out no they didn't land on their feet no but and even worse than that is now even though they are people that are in the same boat as you because we're making a little bit more money it's like now we're gonna act like we're that we're that much better than you and the best representation of this is you know the kim family is already working for the parks they may have already been working for the parks for a while but they're still living in the same place they haven't moved out of where they're living from you know and i thought that was such a good metaphor for my wife and i probably make a pretty reasonable living compared to a lot of people that we know in our friend circle right like you know we don't like I get to work from home, at least right now during the pandemic, every single day. My wife has a very well-paying job at the hospital, and we are we are pretty good off, right? Mm-hmm. But we are still paying lots of you know high bills, buying groceries. Like you know, we are not rich. Like nobody is rich, and even and like it's almost like when you're growing up, you think that if you get a good job that that's and you're conditioned that way you're conditioned to think that if you get a good job it's going to solve all of your problems and you come to find out where even if you're getting paid reasonably well um you're not your your problems are not all solved and you're probably still living in the same place that you would have been living at had you not had that kind of job (laughs) you know like like there's nothing particularly 
you're not rich as you think you are. Like you, they think that they're elevating themselves into another, into another level, but they don't realize that the wealth gap is still at such a high disparity. And I think that's the good argument for what we're talking about right now, right? Like with a lot of the stuff with workers' rights, with hazard pay, with raising the minimum wage, it's why should we who are not working minimum wage jobs, who maybe have had to work service industry jobs, retail jobs, why should we be like saying just because I suffered through it or because I'm doing something that's quote unquote better now, there's no reason why we need to be looking at other people who are working just as hard as if they are beneath us, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the empathy part of it where I think because the Kim family does have empathy for it, but at the same time, they have to think about their own survival. We're Mm -hmm. all kind of like that. Capitalism turns us all into that. (laughs) There is no ethical consumption under capitalist rule. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the truth though, you know, like it's one of those things where it's like, you don't get in a, in a truly capitalist system, you aren't afforded to care about your fellow man. We are we are not conditioned to think about what that other person is going through, especially if it's going to take away from what I'm doing at this time. Mm-hmm. And it's it's for that very same reason that Mrs. Kim begrudgingly lets the old housekeeper, uh, what's her name, Mungwa, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, she begrudgingly lets her in because she's saying that, and she tells her a story about uh what did she leave that she left something behind like medication or something Mm -hmm. or like some personal effects but because the parks kicked her out she didn't have a chance to kind of get everything together so mrs mrs kim is trying her best to keep mungwa from seeing like the rest of the family meanwhile she just takes off and goes straight into the basement for some reason and this is awesome because this is where you much like you know, the part of the city that the Kims live in is lower and lower and lower and literally below ground, you know, to symbolize like where they are on the, you know, on the, uh, how do I put it on the socioeconomic ladder, like the, the housekeeper who is very much in the same financial position, she is now going deeper into the basement and in the basement, you've discovered that there is a secret door. And the reason why the housekeeper knows this is because she outlasted the, like she was there before the parks were there. She was the housekeeper for the original architect who built the home. So she knows where everything is in that house. And that apparently was some sort of bomb shelter or, you know, uh, in shelter in case of, you know, war or whatever, like anything, right? Like it's, Kind of like bomb I mean, shelters in the 50s, like for people who thought like nuclear war was going to come at any moment. <laughs> well, the thing is, it is like also crazy real. It's a, yeah. it's crazy real for anyone living in Korea when you have North, North Korea, Korea. By a psychotic dictator. <laughs> yes. Who is regularly <laughs> testing nuclear missiles. Mer- apparently not well, but he is testing them. <laughs> right. Um, but- but as we go into this basement, it looks like something out of a Saw movie. Uh, this this like secret passage that they're in, and that's where we find her. That's where we find the housekeeper's husband, who mm-hmm. apparently had to basically disappear because of how much debt he is in. 
So he literally is not allowed to exist in the world anymore. To the point where, and it wasn't even like he was a, he wasn't a gambler. He didn't do anything that in Western films we would, we would assume like, okay, in Western films, when, when someone's poor, they have to have a reason. They spent their money on drugs or booze or they gambled it away or, or the, or the one like, you know, oh my God, he used to be so rich and he used to work in a startup or something happened. The bottom fell out. They, you know, like it just, it's like a, it's a, it's some sort of adversity story and stuff like that. This movie, what I like about this movie is that this movie faces the truth where it's like, if you're someone who, let's say in this country, if you're not able to have the same access to buy a home and you're kind of relegating to rent and that's the most you can happen. It's like, let's be, let's be honest. One of the major indicators of long-term wealth is real estate. You know, being able to own stuff that then you can sell and then is worth money or, you know, it's just like your equity. Like that is what creates long-term wealth. And in this country, a lot of it is tied not just to, you know, there's a lot of racial aspects of it in this country as well. But mm-hmm. it, it, it's what, but it's why I like it. You know, again, this movie is insanely relatable because we have a character who did everything you know, he may have done absolutely everything right, but that couldn't that couldn't keep them from getting out of debt. No, I know? guess his I guess his situation was he got uh, he made some bad investments. He he invested in like a a, a sweet roll company or like a dessert mm-hmm. company, and then it small it, business it, owner. How yeah, many of the how many of these people do we know that are living in our neighborhoods right now? Like how many people who are who are small business owners? are folding because of the COVID crisis right now and who for the reason that they wanted to have their own business that they could work at forever have now lost their own business and are plunging further into debt. And this guy ended up, I think they said that he ended up borrowing money from loan sharks, Mm -hmm. trying to save the business to the point where he, that, that he was just constantly in danger like of his life because he just had so much money he had to pay back so he goes into hiding and uh this entire time the old uh the old um housekeeper has just been using her own earnings although that's up for debate because i do remember mr park making a, a passing comment about how um about how Moongua, the housekeeper would eat she would eat for, for two. two. Yeah. <laughs> so she did. So that's the other thing is you don't know who exactly you can trust mm-hmm. because our main characters at this point are liars and, and con artists, right? Yes. Even though they're good people trying to survive, at the end of the day, they're still liars and con artists. Meanwhile, this woman, as sweet as she is, or as she as she tries to portray herself to be, us as an audience and the Kim family don't know how much they can trust her. So immediately, uh, Mrs. Kim tries to use this as kind of leverage uh, after Mungwa like offers to give her like what looks like to keep paying uh, Mrs. Kim to uh, keep feeding her husband and making sure he's taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, how and uh, Mrs. Kim refuses. And she threatens to tell the parks. And, and in uh, a wonderful sitcom moment, at that moment that they're discussing it, 
when you when you know the housekeeper again thinks that uh, Mrs. Kim is the only person in the house, <laughs> down the stairs come tumbling Mr. Kim and the kids. <laughs> Fucking morons! And my favorite part of that scene is when they all fall. Uh, Kevin says, "Ow, Dad, you landed on my foot." Right. <laughs> and the dad's like, "Don't call me Dad, you idiot." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Mungwa. Like ha- the first thing she does is she she um, records everything and mm-hmm. records the audio and gets all that and suddenly, like at the snap of a finger, the power dynamic shifts from being towards Mrs. Park to Moongwan and her husband, and it's like the entire dynamic changes. I thought that scene was so fucking well done. And right, then- because in in the other thing too that the housekeeper reveals is that she also is still texting with the with the boy, right? With the park boy. Mm, that's right. She is still texting mm-hmm. him, huh? So I wish like, God. I need to find the kids. I feel bad just calling him the boy and the girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do have names. It's just, I don't know. We, I already know we're going to butcher them. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth a shot. So the na- the boy's name is Da Song. Yes. Uh, da, uh, S-O-N-G. And then mm-hmm. Da Hai. Da Hai. Yeah. But fuck, I don't know, man. We yeah, all right, we fine. Learn some the, Korean. The park boy and the park girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll try. We'll try Dahia and Dustong the best we can. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've been saying Moon Gwang's wrong name wrong this whole time. Yeah, but then we have like the the threat, right? They now they both have something to blackmail each other with, and mm. uh, you know, she goes, "Well, I'm gonna tell the Madame, right?" Obviously, talking about Mrs. Park. Uh, she said, well, I'm going to show her, I'm going to send her this video so that she knows that, you know, you guys are all swindling her as we are. And it starts this really funny, like, fight that they all have, like, mm-hmm. actual physical fight. And while they're all, like, throwing hands at each other, the door, like, you know, that's when you get the phone call. And the phone call is when Mrs. Park is, uh, you know, telling <laughs> Mrs. Kim to have the Ramdan ready for them when they get home because they're about eight minutes out from the house. <laughs> My favorite part during the fight is Jessica runs to the fridge and grabs the bag full of peaches and just shoves them, <laughs> just shoves them in Mugwok's face. It is so fucking dark. Like, it, again, it's like all this stuff with the housekeeper. Like, they, it is the one moment where they're like, yeah, these people are mean-spirited and, and could easily be seen as evil <laughs> from what they're doing. And, you know, beyond that, then we get the scene where they're all, like, stumbling to get up the stairs at the same time. And on the way up the basement to the kitchen, that's when Mrs. Kim, like, kicks the housekeeper uh Mungwa and, and and like that's it like that's the kick that you know sends her tumbling down the stairs and smacks her head and she is severely concussed oh there's so many head trauma scenes in this film that it's it hurts i think yeah. i told you before i'm not a huge fan of head trauma head trauma scares the shit out of me it's so frightening like the amount that we see in this movie i'm like oh my god yeah like you you it's anytime a character gets hit in their head like you it's one of those things where they could be okay or they could be dead. <laughs> like that is just the unpredictability of head injuries. Um, so Miss, Mrs. Kim comes up, makes the Ramdan. Uh, no one eats it with the exception of Mrs. Park. Everyone else goes upstairs and 
the Kim family has to basically all hide under the coffee table. <laughs> and while, here comes uh, the most awkward part of the film. <laughs> well, no, before that, uh-huh. during the Ramdan scene, that is where you find out why Daesong or Dasong is the way he is, mm-hmm. is because he had an experience once with a ghost. And oh my god. It was so I was absolutely not expecting for a scene in this movie to scare me the way it did. And it's just like I it's so fucking crazy because it literally, you know, you find out that Da Song was eating, you know, birthday cake or something in, what the, a little in the fridge. Shit. Yeah, like, it was <laughs> it's late at night, he's stuffing his face from his birthday cake, I guess like two years prior. And he gets frozen because he sees uh, the housekeeper's husband, uh, Goon Sei, mm-hmm. come up from uh, the staircase leading down into the uh, into the basement. And he was actually coming up to get food. Right. But the <laughs> way he comes up, it doesn't even look human. No, like might... his eyes are completely wide open and it literally looks like something out of the grudge, right? Like it was so <laughs> good. I was like, holy fuck, I forgot about this. <laughs> and um and you know it, it sent it sent him into convulse like he started having a seizure and, and gave him convulsions, like he got so just insanely frightened. And I kind of like when movies that are not in, that are not about supernatural like introduce supernatural elements it's just mm-hmm. there's something interesting about it like i know i watched interstellar a few years ago the chris nolan movie yeah and there's this weird subplot about the daughter who's seeing a ghost mm-hmm. and then like later in the movie they have an explanation for it that's just like oh okay i get it that's actually pretty interesting gotcha gotcha like, but if you're the character on the other side it's like it, it's it's frightening and <laughs> i thought this was just such a good way like i was like oh my god i was not expecting this to be this much of a horror like you know and i it's like you said hitchcock i think hitchcock is really good at at at, at towing the line between comedy thriller stuff that's scary like all of that stuff it, it's it's common in his in his work oh my god it, it was just so it was just so well done it was a very it was a it was a scene that catches you by surprise because up until maybe now, my favorite scene in the movie and, honestly, and i yeah, knew about so well done <laughs> i knew about the ramdan because i watch binging with babish videos on youtube all <laughs> the time right you're welcome buddy and the ramdan dish is what you know it is like the it's the only scene i saw from this movie before i watched the movie itself so it literally could have come at any moment <laughs> and not only is it something that like i already was interested in because they're literally making cheap noodles with sirloin steak (laughs) oh my god we do love being opulent and cheap up in this piece (laughs) it looks good i mean it it looks it looks like something i'd love to try one day (laughs) i know (laughs) but uh price tag that babish paid for but (laughs) man but yeah it was pretty insane uh but yeah moving forward the so even though the camping trip's been canceled and everyone goes back, uh, the parks go back to the house. Uh, Dasong, you know, he he insists on wanting to sleep outside. So uh, the so Mr. Park sets up the a tent for him to go sleep out in the backyard, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Park uh, agree to stay in the living room uh, because they have the wide open uh, windows where they can see him and make sure he's okay um so during this time the 
rest of the Kim family, Jessica, Mr. Kim, and uh, crap, Kevin, they're just hanging out under the coffee table <laughs> as Mr. and Mrs. Parker just like sleeping on the couch right next to him. At one point, um, Da Da Hye tries to text Kevin. So Kevin panics and tries to shut off his phone so that way he can text her back, but on silent. And of course, and then we are we 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 get this the this awkward not awkward, but it's like this outer course sex scene <laughs> where Mr. Park and Mrs. Park diddle each other on the couch. Yeah, so I don't want to normally get caught up like on a love scene in a movie, but this one is different. And it's a little interesting because even their even the the love scene kind of ties into the whole idea of how the Park family feels about about the 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 rich and the poor. And it's like at one point while they're like feeling each other up and and you know being doing the nasty, like like as Mr. Park's like dirty talking, and he at one point tells um tells Mrs. Park that she should put on like the dirty cheap panties or a type of dirty cheap panties like the one they found in the car. <laughs> they, they look when he finds that underwear in there and shows it to his wife, they are turned on by it. It's just, there's no there's no way around it. Like you can absolutely tell that they both have a thing for it. And it, it seems like they've kind of fetishized poor people's underwear (laughs) they fetishize the poor even though they want nothing to do with the poor like that's the thing mr park is this guy that always talks about boundaries and he always talks about how he wants a very clear role and he wants people to know their place he said the reason he liked the old driver was because the guy knew his place he wouldn't get too personal he wouldn't get too like chummy with mr park he would always like he would always respect that boundary of the employee employer relationship he always understood that he was not equals to mr park and that was the thing that bothered him when he found out about the about you know the the supposed sex going on in the car mm-hmm. what, what bothered him wasn't that the driver was having sex um what he was mad about was the fact that the driver crossed the line and did it where mr park would have been sitting yeah (laughs) and he was and that's what he was saying he goes why didn't he do it in his seat up there he Mm -hmm. goes why did he come back here and do it it wasn't that he was mad about him having sex in his car it was just the fact that for one point that guy was like the equals i guess yeah, well, or he, the thing is too even before the foreplay that's where mr park specifically talks about the fact that mr kim has a smell and i think he says it's like horseradish or something like it's just it's, he goes yeah he's got yeah. this poor person smell like people who boil their clothes and stuff like that and they they do this a couple times where they you know like the the in it and or it could even be like the smell of whatever is in their apartment right like it could be the smell of their home that it just gets onto their clothes which is why like you know the park boy like makes a note earlier of the fact that jessica and kevin smelled the same or like how everyone in the family seemed to smell the same 
Mm-hmm. Like they, and they, then they, they all had, had a sense. They, they all had to switch with the um their detergent. They mm-hmm. had to wash their clothes in different detergents so that way the the dust on wouldn't figure it out. But then you know, like it's weird because it's this thing where they they like they they like being separated from the poor, but at the same time they have zero problem indulging in poor people activities or poor people <laughs> delights, you know. Like, yeah. for example, like going back to the Ramdon using the food is that they use the cheapest possible, like, you know, they use noodles and they gussy it up with like, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of sirloin steak that gets thrown aside. Like, you know, your normal folks would say that's like a waste, but it's something that they feel that they it's those comforts of feeling poor without actually being poor. Or the braised ribs, right? Like when yeah. when when Mr. Park talks about how his old housekeeper used to make braised ribs, and now that she wasn't working for them anymore, he's like, "Is there a place that sells it?" He goes, "I'd love to go eat some." And it's like normally he doesn't get out to these places because you know the housekeeper would make it for him, and he didn't have to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so once after we get this scene, you know, it's obviously raining outside, and you know the rain at the Park Manor, like it. it it just looks like regular rain. There's nothing, you know, crazy about it. They're so, also kind of uphill, so the rain goes down. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so the three the three members of the Kim family who are all staying under the coffee table are now going to get up and they're going to escape the house and go back to their home without being seen because the Park family decides to sleep like downstairs on the sofa. Mm-hmm. And, um, as they're getting closer and closer to their home, you're noticing that there's a lot of stairs that they have to go down and the rain is just pouring. And, you know, it's kind of like a thing where they don't really know where to go from here. You know, the, the other woman is concussed inside the basement. Yeah. Uh, her husband has been tied up by, you know, on pipes and, um, unfor- and the sad part for them is that he's basically watching his wife slowly die of like her from her head trauma Mm-hmm. and that's pretty heartbreaking when he's like you know screaming with the with whatever was was gagged into his mouth to keep him from making noise mm-hmm. like you know he basically has to scream while he's watching his wife die and you know how peaceful she is kind of going away um of course when long leave or before she shuffles off this mortal coil she leaves her husband with an actual Miss, uh, Mrs. Uh, Kim's actual name um, so that in case if she does die, he knows who killed her mm-hmm. and he can get revenge on 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 her. Um, yeah, it really is. It really is difficult because, you you know, the Kims weren't they didn't get into this. They never wanted to hurt anybody. Um but again, it's just because they were forced into this quote unquote game of personal gain and trying to move up in upward mobility, they had to eliminate people as they saw fit. Uh, and unfortunately, that just made Moon Guan and her husband another kind of like, you know, casualties of this attempt of trying to move up in, within um, society. And this causes her husband, uh, Moon Guan's husband, um, to essentially have a psychotic break um to the point where i think we see him before the concussion we see him kind of like hitting his head 
up against a light switch trying to do give Morse code a Morse code message to Mr. Park, uh, talking about how much he loves him and respects him. Mm-hmm. Which it, the, the, Mr. Park gets the, like the Park family does get reverence from these families. He gets reverence from you know the gentleman who's living downstairs, and even there's a scene where the Kim family are all huddled around the dinner table, and they kind of you know give give grace to the Park family for you know for giving them what little they do have. But it's weird because it's they give grace in different ways. One like the like Moon Wong and her husband are a little bit more genuine while the while the Kims are like, thanks, suckers. <laughs> you know. Um, but what we end up seeing is that their apartment, the, the Kim's apartments end up getting uh flooded. And and while they try to salvage everything, they pretty much the only thing they're able to salvage is really the the scholar's stone. Um, aside from that, the entire them living in a sub basement, the, the entire thing gets done. They kind of leave it for a wash. They end up staying the night at a, a school gym turned into a shelter. Uh, and they're able to get clothes from the shelter. And uh, they find out uh, that the Park family is actually going to do a surprise birthday party for um, Dasong. And before we a- before we actually get to that, I think the good what this kind of outlines to me and the relatability of it is in the scene where they are flooding and their their basement apartment is flooding and they have to collect all their stuff before it, it leave you know they leave and stuff like that. You can't look at that as an American audience and not think about what what likely happened to the people who are trying to escape Katrina, right? Mm-hmm. Or any of the million you know or any of the hundreds of hurricanes that hit. Uh, that hit every year that leaves so many people displaced like in Houston and other cities and it kind of like in this country it's it's almost like a thing where again it's poor people are going to be more easily displaced as the world continues to experience the effects of climate change because a lot of the people who let's say just in California who can afford to live in the less populated areas of the state um, you know it's more affordable there. They likely are people who have less because they, you know, they don't need as much because they're not living in the cities and just the cost of everything is just lower in some of these areas. But these are areas of the state that are much more subjectable. They're much more uh, subjected to the danger of wildfires Um, and, or like places in Florida, like when we talked about moonlight, there's a lot of neighborhoods in, you know, in Miami where people are going to be where people are regularly displaced and people are going to end up losing their homes because climate change is going to make it impossible for them to live in some of the neighborhoods that they do Mm. and that's the kind of stuff that i thought about when i was seeing this family inside of their gym and the conversation that they do have inside of this gymnasium where they're staying is really interesting to me because you know mr kim talks about how they talk a lot about how they have plans and stuff and this is the part where Mr. Kim basically says it's best not to have a plan. And you find, and I think the reason why is because you find out how even though you're getting to a much higher position than maybe you have been, while well, you're making reasonably more money than you were before folding pizza boxes, because you are someone who is of lower class, everything that you have is so fragile. And mm-hmm. the best, it's, it's just like what we talked about with COVID, right? It's just like you have things the way they are 
and imagine most families in this country in the u.s like just a month without a regular paycheck it's like it drives people into debt and it removes people from their homes and it's just the fragility of the life that you're living in under this the economic system that you're in i mean most Uh, folks in the states are what two missed paychecks away from being homeless poverty yeah like that's fucking crazy to think about in what is supposed to be the richest like most well-off country quote-unquote i'm i'm putting these in giant quotes by the way (laughs) that it's crazy that your average citizen can go broke in literally uh, the the span of a month because you know we're displaced from our jobs or we're displaced from our homes or something just unprecedented happens to us and we get screwed right oh man yeah that that that's i'm sad (laughs) i'm sad i hate capitalism (laughs) anyway but yeah, moving forward. So, uh, we yeah the the parks are setting up for a party. So they end up inviting uh they end up inviting the Kim family. Um, you know, the De, high ends up inviting Kevin. Uh, da Song asks his mom if they can invite uh Jessica, and then uh Mrs. Park ends up uh getting Mr. Kim to come over because they need she needs to run errands. Uh, and the entire time um, that they're running errands, uh, she's talking about she's inviting all her all her rich friends, and this is the first time she notices Mr. Kim's uh, poor poor person's stench, for lack of a better term, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to the point where even though she has her her shoes off and her feet up, <laughs> you know she's still kind of grossed out, and then has to uh, roll down the window to try to get the old the old radish smell of Mr. Kim out of the car. Well, you know what? And, and the thing is like, obviously like the park family has no idea what's going on with the Kim family and how they've basically just lost everything. And because of the con that they've set up on this family is they have to continue living their lives as if nothing out of the ordinary pretend, is yeah. happening. They have to pretend like they didn't just lose everything in this massive flood. And the pain in Mr. Kim's eyes as he watches you know mrs park like talk on the phone and like watch they watch this family like go along as if everything is exactly normal for because for them it is and they don't have to think about like the other people who are living in these sub basements Mm -hmm. you know like there's just nothing there's nothing that's affecting them so all and it's you know what it kind of made me think of it made me think of you know those first few weeks like when everybody was trying to flatten the curve and like celebrities got a lot of backlash for making those oh, stupid like imagine videos yes <laughs> oh my god that it's is just, exactly what this reminds yeah that's the yeah. vibe Same it's energy. rich it's rich people are completely out of touch with what real people are experiencing Mm-hmm. I know at worst the parks just feel that they've been inconvenienced because Desong's birthday trip was canceled. You know, meanwhile, like the worst case scenario for the Kims is they've literally lost everything. And now because they're in so deep, they have to pretend that they that they're not hurting at the moment. Right. And and Mr. Kim's acting in this scene, I can't underline it enough. Like it really reminded me of when we talked about uh when we talked about the character of you know black in in moonlight or just all the character like the three different 
protagonists in, in Moonlight at the, mm-hmm. at the different ages, right? Chiron. Um, it's just all the acting that's done without saying words. And that's the brilliance of the performances in this movie. Song Kang Ho is a fucking fantastic actor. <laughs> the guy My understanding has- is that he's in the host as well, right? Yeah, yeah. He, so he's in the host. He's in Snowpiercer. Uh, he's one of those guys, like uh, Bong Joon-ho is one of those guys that when he makes friends with an actor, that guy keeps coming back for his projects. So he's been we, in a like, lot. It's like what we talk about with, well, we will when we actually start reviewing some of his movies, but, you know, Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler or Scorsese and DiCaprio or Scorsese and De Niro. It's just like those tandems of director and actor. Yeah, or Tarantino and, I mean... Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say DiCaprio too, but um, I mean, yeah, the, you know, it's just one of those tandems that they just work together. And mm. this guy's got great range. Like, I just want to do, I do want to take a moment to talk about how great Song Kong, uh, Song Kang Hong is, because I did watch him in a movie called The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, which is a uh, Korean Western. Uh, I thought it was meant to be a spoof. Um, it actually is a really good story, <laughs> but he plays this bandit in that movie and around like turn of the century, like China, Mongolia. And it's like this mad dash for treasure. Um, and he is such a lovable goofball in that movie where he, and you're not supposed to take anything he says serious. And that's why it's like weird to see him as the dad, because also that movie came out like 14, 15 years ago. So he's a younger dude and he's like doing all these goofy stunts and whatnot. So it's weird to see him go like have that range of going from like this lovable goofball and the good, the bad, and the weird to now like this just this father that's been badgered by life. You know, that like the guy has a lot of range. It's pretty fantastic. So, but yeah, like you were saying, the 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 acting, yeah, the acting is regardless of whether we understand the the language or not like you like you mentioned earlier a big thing of acting is not just the actual language itself but like the emotions they convey the the body language like there's so much that goes into it and i think everyone did a pretty fantastic job in this film uh, when it comes around that um but yeah so moving moving on so we're coming up on the climax of our film um kevin ends up uh talking to or he ends up like making out with uh high for a little bit i feel so bad for butchering that name and after he convinces her to go downstairs and kind of like mingle with everyone and that he's going to meet up with her he actually goes down into the basement to check on uh on uh moon guang and uh and gyun say and that's where he actually finds out that uh, Moon Gwang has died from her injuries uh, suffered earlier from the head trauma and that pretty much succumbed to her concussion. And then uh, he doesn't see um, he doesn't see Gunsei at first, but what ends up happening is that Gunsei puts like a garrot wire or kind of like a makeshift noose around um, Kevin's head and tries to like choke him out with it and like tries to uh tries to um what's it called uh he tries to like hold like pin him down up against the uh the pipes that he was tied to earlier and after he tries to he tries to attack him 
Kevin ends up taking off running and runs as fast as he can up uh, up the stairs back up towards the uh, towards the basement. Unfortunately, the wire that he's attached to is attached to like this metal rod that ends up getting stuck and forces him to kind of like yanks him back and drops him on the floor. Uh, Gungsei chases him up and ends up, uh, you know, walking up to him as he's kind of laying on the floor in pain. And he ends up picking up the scholar's rock. And I think he, like, first he hits him with it in the back of the head and then he he like throws it at his like drops it on his head oh my god that the thunk it makes when it hits him in the head i winced so fucking hard dude well then you see like the pool of blood start to form from you know the back of his head oh my god and at that moment exact like right at that moment i'm like kevin's dead like there's no way that's what i thought yeah yeah and then, funny enough, even though this is the, again, this is the portion of the movie that's very dark, it's very, there's a lot of sadness in all of this because, you know, you feel like these character deaths are avoidable, but it's just, it, you know, it's just, it's the most, it's the least comfortable part of the movie. And then you get what I can only describe as someone who's watching it as a Western audience, like, you know, so as a member of the Western audience, like, it, it felt like something out of a Tarantino movie, right? Because 100%. <laughs> the violence just explodes and it's so yeah. sudden. And it's just so like graphic. Like it was just the gore and it's almost, you know, like it, like Tarantino or Verhoeven. Like it is, it, it's something that there's, com- there's something comedic about just how like, gonzo some of the violence is <laughs> it's over the top but not played for laughs like that's the no weird, in a tarantino the- movie this is like when we talked about once upon a time in hollywood like it's comedy and it makes you laugh it's it doesn't make you laugh here it's just more of like oh my god what am i watching and you because everything in this movie nothing leads you to believe this movie is going to have a violent end yeah up until the part where uh where Moon Guang dies. And then you're like, well, this is taking a darker turn than I expected. Mm-hmm. And then from then on out, this is like the point of no return. At this point, it's whatever these characters have decided. You know, they're made they've made their bed. Now from here on, it's like everyone's gonna sleep on it, whether they like it or not. Um, and what ends up happening is Gunsei comes upstairs, he grabs the knife, he grabs a knife from the kitchen. And uh, walks over and walks into the um, into the uh, backyard in the middle of this party. So during this party, Mr. Park and Mr. Kim put on like uh, Native American headdresses. Um, well, I don't want to get in a problematic nature because again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Liz, this is a part of the movie where I was just like, oh my god, I could not imagine being a Native- this in a Western movie. <laughs> like- well, yeah, it's it's a Western movie, like obviously there's a lot more sensitivity to some of this kind of stuff now and no not just that but it's just like yeah it, it's this is the kind of stuff that people who are native americans are likely have been dealing with for years right mm-hmm. you know and it's just in 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 there's like there's such a like other darkness to it when you're watching like not only is this like the cartoonist nature in which you're viewed by american audiences but even people who have a base understanding of western culture like this is how they view you as well oh yeah 
Like I can't imagine ever, you know. Um, but yeah, so they were they were planning this cake parade where they were gonna come where uh the two fathers were gonna come out and they were going to attack Jessica who's holding the cake, and then uh Da Song was gonna fight him off and he was gonna be the hero and everyone was gonna cheer. And it was at this point where it gets very, this is kind of where like the relationship starts coming to, starts coming apart from Mr. Park and Mr. Kim, because Mr. Kim brings up on several occasions that um, he asks whether Mr. Park truly does love his wife. Cause the way he talks about her is very disdainful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he makes that, that backhanded comment about how she doesn't know how to cook. She doesn't know how to clean. Um, but at least she's attractive. And then, you know, to the point where Mr. Kim was like, you, but you still do love her. Right. And he goes, of course I love her. That's my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he asks her again. Um, oh, you, you know, Mr. Mr. Kim says, Oh, you're a good father. You try your best because you love your wife. Right. And it's like this time it rubs Mr. Park the wrong way. And he responds saying that, Hey, like essentially saying, know your place. Mm-hmm. And you're getting paid. Like, shut up. So at this point, Mr. Kim is just kind of like, you know, after seeing how they, you know, after being forced into, uh, into like having to see his fa- his life like get swept up in this hurt or in, in this flood, after seeing how little like care this family has for anyone outside of themselves, he's essentially done. He, he's pretty much done with them. So at this point, when the cake parade is supposed to start, uh, Gunsei comes out screaming for uh, Mrs. Kim, but asking her by her real name, mm-hmm. uh, Chung Suk, Chung Suk, Chung Suk, um, demanding to see her. And of course, uh, the Kims react knowing that that is uh, Mrs. Kim's name. Uh Gunsei ends up stabbing uh, Jessica in the chest and then turning around and starting to like swing and stab at other party goers. (laughs) At this point, uh, Mr. Kim runs over to his daughter trying to, you know, keep pressure on the wound, keeping her from dying. Uh, Mr. Park and his family are trying to, um, they grab the song because he goes into another like, epileptic seizure right because the ghost from the basement is now out in this party and he's killing people (laughs) so that so they end up grabbing him and they try to make an escape um mrs kim ends up fighting uh gunsei uh they have a tussle i can't imagine the fear like and i don't hate to get off on this tangent but it totally Mm -hmm. reminds me of the scene in mulholland drive if you ever seen that movie where there's these uh, two characters that seem to be completely divorced from like the main story of the movie, but it's these two characters that are sitting in this restaurant called Winkies, and it's essentially, I, I know what it is. It's essentially the Denny's on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the characters is talking about a dream he had about like you know about a, about like a a demon man behind the restaurant and how he'd never want to see that face in real life and stuff like that and and then the scene like you know there's a jump scare that goes along with that scene that sends the character like into a and just 
either a seizure or like kills him of a heart attack of the fear i don't know what it is right mm-hmm. like it's just and that's all i could think about when <laughs> when the poor boy ends up going into convulsions after seeing the ghost covered in blood starting to kill party goers jesus and this is your birthday like that's like the worst birthday present ever <laughs> death like that's just fucking terrible so anyway uh, mrs kim ends up fighting with gunsei um and meanwhile, Mr. Kim's trying to keep uh, he's trying to keep Jessica alive. Jessica, it made me laugh, which I kind of feel bad about. But at one point, she says, "Dad, stop all your and stop putting pressure on the wound. All you're doing is hurting me." Um, like you know, she she's able to keep her like dark sense of humor even as she's like dealing with this uh, chest wound. Um, so Mr. Mr. Park demands uh, the keys for Mr. Kim, since he's not actually helping the family, he tries throwing the keys, which get intercepted by uh, Gunsei in his fight with uh, Mrs. Kim. Mrs. Kim ends up grabbing a shish kebab full of meat and ends up stabbing him in his side, uh, killing Gunsei as he falls on uh, the keys. So when Mr. Park goes to retrieve the keys, he, like has this look on his face where of disgust um as he hears um Gunsei's final words which were pretty much just saying how much he loved and respected Mr. Park um even in his dying breath he still has this weird admiration and this love for the man uh however Mr. Park cannot care any less uh he ends up grabbing the keys and Mr. Kim at this point just kind of snaps grabbing the knife um that Gunsei had and actually walks over and stabs Mr. Park, uh, killing him. At this point, uh, Mr. Park ends up, um, Mr. Park ends up, yeah, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Park ends up dying, <laughs> but Mr. Kim ends up disappearing, um, walking down a, walking down a alleyway next to the house where there's no cameras, no closed circuit television, there's nothing to really record. So as far as um, as far as authorities are concerned, essentially he vanished into thin air. Um, the story picks up a few months later, where Kevin has recovered. Uh, he went into he had had to get brain surgery due to his uh, injuries, and he had and he would suffer from laughing fits when he first came out which was then explained by the doctor that it's pretty common with people that had um kind of traumatic head injuries uh and he would laugh and you know he mentioned that he would laugh all the way up until he uh discovered that jessica uh been had passed away from her injury uh that day at desong's uh birthday party uh, so he lives with his mom back in the apartment. Um, they were both charged with fraud. Um, and I forgot what other charges, but they were ended up give, being given probation. And from then on, the, the, the Park family ended up moving away. And the house ended up being bought by folks from a, um, folks from Germany, I believe. And it is here where it is revealed that Mr. Kim actually didn't escape. What he ended up doing was the same thing Gunsei did. 
hiding in the bomb shelter uh, underneath the house. And now so he's the one he, sending Morse code messages from the basement. Exactly. So uh, Kevin going to observe the home actually reads one of these messages and learns Morse code and figures out that his father is still alive. And in one of the most, um, one of the more emotional moments in the film that, you know, I'm not going to lie. It did get me the first time I saw it. I did definitely tear up. Um, Kevin actually writes a fa- uh, writes a, a letter for his father talking about plans. Seeing as how the last conversation they had were about having plans. Um, he tells his father that he has a plan to make money, uh, make so much money that it's stupid to go to college and make that career for himself and beca- become someone. And that one day he's going to go back and he's going to buy the park house. Um, and him and his mom are going to live in it and they're going to wait for him in the backyard. And that all his father ever has to do is just walk up the stairs and be free again. And this entire scene plays out until the end when you realize that it's actually on Kevin's head and he's still living in that uh, basement apartment with his mom, just uh, formulating this plan to uh, save his dad. And roll credits and that is parasite and the ending of the movie is so tragic like it reminds me of this twilight zone episode i think it's like the second to last episode of the series which actually wasn't originally a twilight zone episode mm-hmm. they apparently went to i don't know if it's can they went to a foreign film festival or i don't know what it was but they they will go to a, uh, the producers of the twilight zone ended up going to a film festival and they saw a really I guess what they thought interesting short film that was based on uh it's called an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge which is it was made by a French it's made by a French director but it's like uh but it's a movie that takes place in the American South right was that uh based on the Ambrose Pierce story yeah yeah, yeah. So, right. right. So, so in so in that episode of the show, the guy ends up, you know, he's supposed to hang by a bridge. I don't know if it's like treason that he's on trial for or whatever, but they're essentially supposed to execute this guy by hanging him over a bridge. And what happens is the rope that he's like, it's tied to his neck that's supposed to kill him ends up snapping, and he ends up freeing himself. Right. And the entire like series, the entire episode is him trying to get back to his wife, whom he cares about very much and the moment that he gets to her that's when you find out that this is basically like the final thoughts that he had as he was like as he was you know dropping from the bridge and and starting to hang right like that's what this that's what the ending of this movie felt like to me the tragedy of it is like oh cool you're watching like the inception the nolan scene or whatever where you're like oh this is where the family gets back together and then next thing you know, it's like, no, that's not exactly how it happened. And the tragedy of it is, you know, they is that Kevin is essentially convinced that this is something that he'll be able to do for himself one day. And me as an audience watch, as you know, as a film goer watching the movie, I have absolutely no confidence that he's ever going to amass the kind of wealth required to get into that home and free his father. Mm-hmm. it's uh, such a tragic ending it's such a weird i guess it all depends on how you want to look at it right Mm -hmm. because it can be seen as a hopeful ending if you're a more hopeful person uh i see it as a tragic ending like a hundred percent um 
Yeah, I see it as a tragic ending because capitalism has duped this guy into <laughs> thinking that he's going to be able to get the kind of wealth that is not possible for most people to get in their lifetime. And it sucks because at the end of the day, even though it's cost his family everything, it feels like Kevin still hasn't learned that lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, he's lost his sister, his father is essentially an, an eternal prisoner in this home. Like, it's just, it's just such a it's such a bleak story in my opinion but i also feel like if you're the right kind of person you can also see it as a hopeful story mm-hmm. um and if you really do believe kevin can be the kind of person to make it in this world you know what i mean i don't know it, it was it was very oh god it was so it was so intense and then yeah. you know it's <laughs> well but my final thoughts in the movie obviously based on the conversation that we've had here uh, I, I thought the movie was good. I think the movie absolutely is deserved the Academy Award for Best Picture and is maybe one of the better movies that I've seen in the last 10 years. So I definitely appreciate the fact that I did get to watch it. I'm very glad I waited to watch it for this podcast. I think it made for one of the better discussions that I think we've ever had on this show. <laughs> Oh, sorry about that. I thought I was unmuting myself, <laughs> but um, it's I like how the name of the film plays on two different levels. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can see. We never even brought that up too, and that's such a true thing. Like, because like, I even texted you during the movie, and I was like, I get it now. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, you can say that the Kims are parasites living off the parks. But one thing I was reading is that one of the things Bong Joon-ho wanted to kind of like hammer in is that the parks are just as parasitic as the Kims, just in different ways. And it's like, again, it's the it's how the it's how what the world has created for these folks to create these relationships they need to. But I thought it was really interesting in that he said he wanted the the parks to be seen as parasites because none of them are able to function by themselves. Yeah. And that's they, and that's that I mean, by definition, that is what a parasite is. It's an organism that doesn't live on its own. Like it needs to be attached to something else to survive. Yeah, and it just goes, I don't know, it's just this because movie... if you even if you think about like not just how the Kim family ends up from this, but like what happens to the parks after this. Like their main source of income, which comes from Mr. Park, is now gone. Uh the lifestyle that they're used to living is never gonna be the same as it was. Mm-hmm. And uh this has fundamentally changed their lives forever. So it's like, are they gonna be able to survive? Is even one of the questions that you could be left with as a viewer. Yep. And it's just one of those movies that really makes you want to keep talking about it once after the runtime's over, you know? Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. I love this movie. And like you said, it was, I absolutely agree. I 100% de- believe that this film deserved Best Picture. Um, and that was hard for me to accept, seeing as how I've seen, of think of that, of that quote unquote class of movies that year. Mm-hmm. I saw like four of them. And I love Jojo Rabbit and I loved uh what was the other one? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And yeah, forgot, which we also reviewed on this show. <laughs> and I think and you know, we watched Joker and I enjoyed Joker. Um and it's like yeah, which we also movies, reviewed on this show. 
<laughs> yeah, so we've reviewed uh, three of those movies now. Uh, <clears throat> my next one is to push Jojo Rabbit on you, <laughs> but um, it's just one of those things. Like I've seen, I've seen three of those four movies now, and I don't think any of those other movies hit as hard as this one did. You know, Mm-mm. because like you said, it's something that's relatable, not just in our own state or in our own local area but now we see that it was something that is happening overseas and it's something that affects people globally and not only that i feel like this film actually actually has merit this movie actually caused social change like bong joon ho like highlighted the wealth disparity in korea to the point where the korean government actually started regulating in 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 these sub-basement uh rental practices Hmm. and they they, you know they started putting in legislature so that people can actually live in a place that you know they can live in these homes or these units and it actually be habitable you know so it's one of those things it's one of those unintended effects of what satire was doing it called you know it 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 addressed those in power in a way where it actually worked and it caused change and honestly uh, i'm not an artist i'm just a dude that likes talking about movies on on the interwebs (laughs) but it's pretty awe-inspiring that right now in the you know in 20 in in this time in the last two years that there was someone that was able to do that just because they wanted to tell a story and i think that that just makes this movie that much more powerful in my opinion Yep. So, uh, yeah, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Uh, I think, again, this is probably one of the better discussions we've ever had on a movie on this show. Uh, please continue to interact with us on social media. Um, and we look forward to announcing our uh, next review, f- film review series that we're actually going to do this year. That's going to start in the month of February, which we are not officially announcing yet, but it is coming. And uh, we hope that you guys continue to interact with us and continue to download the show and uh, enjoy what we're putting out. So thanks. Thanks for everything, y'all. We appreciate y'all listening. And please take care of yourselves during these crazy-ass times.